0: Good morning, brothers and sisters. My name is Marcel Hall. It's an honor to be able to preach God's word this morning We're going to continue in a sermon series that we have called the answer And we are studying out the life and teachings of Jesus through the book of John And as you study and observe Jesus his teachings his lifestyle interactions and relationships you begin to see that he is and provides the answers for our personal challenges our relational challenges, and even at large, our society's challenges. And today we will see how Jesus is the answer in an imperfect world. Again, Jesus is the answer in an imperfect world. Let's pray. Father, I pray right now that you may speak. God, that your message of Jesus being the answer may be clearly articulated. And God, not only will we see it, but we will be inspired, and God, that we will put it into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 8 and verse 2, we'll start there. Your footnote in your Bible might say the earliest manuscripts do not have uh, this story in them. and We don't have enough time to get into all of that. However, we do see that uh, from the evidence that the uh, story was an oral tradition that was inserted later. However, we know it was valid. And so here we have in John chapter eight and verse two, it says at dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people were gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Let's stop right there. Now, the religious leaders here, these uh, what I like to call these savior haters, because they're always hating on the savior, Jesus. They were trying to catch Jesus through this situation. So they have this woman, kind of adultery. Now, mind you, you can already see an issue. They have just a the woman. They don't have the man also there, which they should have had. But, but they bring this woman to Jesus and they ask him if uh, they should stone him. And so they're trying to catch him because here's the issue. If Jesus agrees to the stoning, then they can, use this, they can use this as a basis against him for being against Roman law. You see, the Roman control over the Jewish people and the Jewish nation did not allow them to have capital punishment for this uh, particular issue. However, if Jesus goes and he uh, is against the stoning of this woman, then they can lay the charge against him that he's against the law of Moses or that he condones Adultery. So now let's continue to see what Jesus does. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. She said, then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. Wow. This story has so much there. You can see uh, uh, Jesus being the answer to so many things here. I mean, first thing I think of is Jesus is the answer when haters come after you. What did Jesus do? This is what we do. When you have some haters come after you, you don't answer right away, you write on the ground, and you wait till you get a good answer. Okay? And so, uh, but seriously, we, we see Jesus providing the answers in an imperfect world. You see, we all agree that the world is populated with imperfect people and we have imperfect systems. And I believe that two of the biggest fallouts from us knowing that we live in an imperfect world with imperfect people. Are judgment and shame. You see, the tendency for us is to be judgmental when we see clearly the imperfections and failures and shortcomings of other people. We look down upon them. We turn our nose up. We become uh, arrogant or we. uh. uh are hypocritical in our judgment of other people and then there's shame as well you see because we not only recognize other people's imperfections but we recognize our imperfections and and we go into this place in which we start to feel shame because of the flaws and and mistakes and, and shortcomings and so we feel unworthy and therefore shame is produced But you see, and we shall see from this passage, that Jesus is the answer to judgment and shame. So let's talk about judgment first. You see, these religious leaders, they were trying to condemn this woman. They were even trying to embarrass her. They bring her out in public. They could have done this uh, privately with Jesus. But you see, they were trying to condemn. And don't we see that today in our society? We see so many people condemning, quick to judge others for their mistakes and and many times wrongful actions and decisions. I mean, think about cancel culture and how popular it is right now. Cancel culture where, uh, you know, a lot of celebrities or politicians, they said something in the past or they made a mistake and it's what's canceling. We can never support them. We can never do anything. Just condemning. We live in such a society where we're so quick to condemn people for making poor choices, bad decisions or maybe decisions in the past. And they are irredeemable. However, it's not just with celebrities. It's not just with politicians. It's at our job. It's at our school. It's in our neighborhood. It happens in our families. It can even sadly and unfortunately happen in a church. I want to read this this quote, which I believe is 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 so true for us in this imperfect world and the fallout again of judgment. It says one of the commonest faults in life is that so many of us demand standards from others that we never even try to meet ourselves. And so many of us condemn faults in others, which are glaringly obvious in our own lives. Wow. Isn't that so true? You know, I can testify that it's not just others, but but it's been me as well. I know for many years um, I, I had a self-righteous attitude. And even to this day, because I can come in contact with so many and see so many things from a biblical view, which is holy and good. But then I can start to make judgments or be critical of others and their shortcomings and forget my own. But you see Jesus is the answer. In overcoming being judgmental. And we see it here in the example with this woman and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, and it's mercy. You see, the answer to judgment is mercy. He doesn't condemn. Jesus doesn't condemn the woman right away before he receives all the facts. Side note, we too should follow this example. Before we make judgments, let's gather in all the facts. But Jesus knows that this is a trap. However, he doesn't expose the, the trap, but he, he uses this as an opportunity to reveal and teach and show us all mercy. And throughout the Gospels, Jesus is often eager to give mercy to the sinner. And we all need and want mercy, don't we? When you mess up, when, when, when you sin or wrong somebody you are hopeful that you will receive mercy if you get stopped by the police what are you hoping for you are hoping for some mercy you're not looking for justice at that point are you you see we all want and we all need mercy however the problem is we are slow often to give mercy and to show others mercy And so sometimes we think, well, if I show mercy, then I'm condoning the sin. Did Jesus condone the sin here? No. In fact, he condemned the sin, but he did not condemn the sinner. Jesus wasn't soft on the sin. In fact, what did he tell her? He he said, look, hey, stop your life of sin. Stop living that lifestyle. And so he was direct about the sin, but yet he gave mercy. And he gave her mercy so that she had the opportunity to repent and to change. But Jesus shows us that the way to enter into this world of mercy for others is to look inward first. It's to look inward first. What happens in verse seven? Jesus tells him, hey, he or, or anyone without sin, you throw the first stone. Now, it's interesting. He didn't say anyone without this sin or he didn't say anyone who has never committed the sin of adultery. He just said anyone without sin. And obviously, then and even today, none of us can 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 raise our hand and say, I am without sin. And even in Matthew chapter seven, let's look at that, because Jesus, again, points us to this idea of being merciful. And in Matthew chapter seven, and verse one, he says, do not judge or you, too, will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, hey, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You see, Jesus tells us when we first look inward. Then this will produce in us. Mercy, because we start to realize for ourselves our need for mercy. We start to, in a correct way, see our own brokenness, see our own imperfection. And therefore we can extend it to others when we see their imperfections and mercy. Now, let's think about this. Let's say, let, let's imagine here. What would happen if we all apply this to our lives? What would happen if we looked first inward at our own faults? Before we looked at the faults of others. What, 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 what would happen? What if we applied this principle to our relationships with our parents? What if we applied this to our relationship relationships with our kids? What about our spouses? What about our roommates? What about our coworkers? our neighbors? What if we applied this to our brothers and sisters in the church? Do you think this might affect your relationships and your interactions? Of course it will. It will alter the way we view others and will therefore produce in us a different interaction and different relationships. And we will engage in a different way. You see, if we look first, then we will see the commonality that we have with those who are imperfect and those who are sinners rather than the differences that we have. Again, when when we look inward, we see the commonality rather than our differences. And I believe this will radically shape our interactions. And it will even radically shape the way in which we share the good news with others. I believe it would have a major impact on the effectiveness of the gospel reaching others. Because I believe that that, that if I look first at my faults. As I share the good news, then I I, I mean, if I look first at my faults, then then I'll be prompted to share the good news with people as opposed to dismissing them as they've been too far off or they're too sinful. No, I will be more inclined out of the mercy that I have received to want to share that with others. I will engage in conversation with great humility instead of my nose being turned up. And then I will recognize that we both have common ground, producing good conversations instead of arguments. Now, again, let's let's extend this out here, okay? because, again, Jesus is the answer for us personally, for our relationships, but also for society at large. So let's extend this. Let's say, just imagine. If the idea of looking inward first and having mercy. Was in our political world. Imagine if the Christian world looked inward first and showed mercy. To the sinners. Would there ever be a charge of being judgmental? You see, I believe so many would be drawn to Christ because they would see the mercy of Christians and the mercy that they have received from them. Imagine if disciples of Jesus today, you and I, we looked first before we started having conversations about social injustice in the pandemic again we looked inward first not wanting others to look inward first but we ourselves looking inward first you see Jesus is the answer to overcoming judgment and being judgmental but again he's not only the answer for judgment but Jesus is also the answer for shame And right now, my wife, Karina, she's going to share her observations of how she sees how Jesus is the answer for shame.
1: Shame, as I'm sure it is for you, is a very debilitating feeling for me. I know that when I feel shame, uh, it usually comes from not meeting an expectation or a standard. It comes from feeling like I've disappointed someone, or I've upset someone, or I'm receiving someone's reproach. And I can imagine how this woman felt uh, coming in front of a crowd, having her sin publicly exposed, and all that she must have been feeling. Fear, humiliation, and of course, shame. I picture her head down, eyes on the ground, not wanting to make eye contact with anybody. And certainly, I know I, I have felt that internally. I Head down, eyes on the ground, not wanting to look up and face my sin, not wanting to uh, face uh, the people that maybe I've disappointed or hurt. And I love this story. Because I think the Bible specifically chooses this woman because she was guilty of a really bad sin, what the world viewed as worthy of death. And certainly, I know I've ranked for myself uh, sin and uh, where, you know, categorized it in my mind for myself, uh, what is really bad. And I think that's when I feel the most shame. And I also think that's when I feel the most powerless Uh, when I feel that shame, when I feel that guilt and God's truth about grace and forgiveness and everything about who God is for me during those times, his power, it becomes harder to believe and live by. But this story is so encouraging to me because I believe that Jesus really gives us the answer to our shame. I'm so moved by verse 10 and 11. I love how Jesus, you know, when he asked her, has no one condemned you? Then neither do I condemn you. That statement, then neither do I condemn you, gives gives me so much hope. The answer to our shame is hope. Jesus offered this woman hope. He offered her forgiveness. She was guilty of this, this crime, this sin, And he says, neither do I condemn you. And he says the same thing to me. I don't condemn you, I I died on the cross for you so that you would be forgiven of your sin. And not just, he didn't just die on the cross for my sin, he died for that shame and that guilt. He took on the humiliation and the shame on the cross. Jesus continues to tell her in verse 11, go now, and leave your life of sin. And I don't see this as a bad thing. I don't see them see this as a reproach from Jesus. I see this as something full of hope. When Jesus tells her, go and leave your life of sin, He's saying this sin doesn't have to define you. You can start over. And that is so encouraging and inspiring to me that Jesus is offering me a new life. Jesus is offering me a new opportunity to start over. And uh, I believe that, you know, yes, he offered that to me almost 20 years when I decided to become a Christian, but he offers that to me every day. Every day I have this hope that I can be forgiven and that I can be given a new life.
0: Thank you so much, Karina, for sharing. Her husband is a lucky man. He should be fired up. But seriously, what do we do now? What what do we do with all this? I believe it's obvious. We need to follow the example of Jesus. We need to go ahead and, and remember and reflect upon the mercy that we have received. If you are a true Christian, it is vital that we remember the mercy that we have received in Christ, because that's where we get in trouble. That's where I know I get in trouble is when I become distant. From the mercy that I have received and begin to believe that I am somehow better than others. And so it's so important that we look inward first in a healthy way, that we look inward first so that we can show mercy to others. And that also those of us that, that, that uh, maybe don't know Christ in this way, that we go ahead and approach Jesus and receive the answer of hope for the shame that we have. We are not too far off. We have not done enough in which Jesus cannot over, overcome and cover up that shame. But again, we, what, what we do with that after we receive it, after we show it, then we share that hope with others helping them understand that they don't have to live in shame anymore and there's not judgment and condemnation for those who are in christ jesus so let's get very practical let me give you some action steps i want to give you three action steps and you can choose one but i believe all of us at some point could do all three this week okay first one look inward first this week And what I mean by this is look in and see how much mercy you have received. For those of us who are true Christians, think about the mercy you received before you were a disciple of Jesus and the amount of mercy you have received after becoming a disciple of Jesus. Number two, show mercy to someone this week. I guarantee you. That there will be someone that will wrong you this week or there will be someone that you will be tempted to be judgmental or critical of. And I ask you and I want to challenge you and encourage you to show mercy this week. Maybe you have somebody already in your mind that you've been critical of or or, or you're thinking about when you get on the on on the road there and, and somebody cuts you off, whatever the case may be. But be very intentional in showing someone mercy this week. Again, maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your uh, uh, your parents, uh, uh, your roommates, whoever it may be. Decide to show at least one person mercy this week. And three, share the hope of Jesus with someone this week. Maybe it's maybe it's a a family member, uh, old high school buddy, a current classmate, your neighbor, your co-worker, whoever it may be. Share the hope of Jesus with someone this week. Virtually in person, over the phone, whatever it is, share how Jesus can cover up and give the answer to shame through the hope of a new life through him. Jesus is the answer in an imperfect world. And as we take communion, we're going to take communion right now. So we're going to give you several minutes in which you can take communion. And the, the, the bread and the juice represent Jesus's sacrifice for us upon the cross. And for those of us who have become true Christians, let us remember that we, too, were once the woman caught in adultery. We committed the crime. We committed the offense. We are guilty as charged. However, Jesus gave us hope and mercy through his death upon the cross. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for Jesus example. I thank you personally for the mercy you have shown me. I know that there's no way I can call you Dad. There's no way that I could be a preacher. There's no way I would have the life I would I have if it were not for your mercy. And I thank you that you gave us this mercy. But I want to remember that it was not cheap and it came at a cost and that was the cost of Jesus being ridiculed and crucified for my sin. Thank you for the mercy that is given through the cross. Thank you so much for the hope that is given through the cross. And we pray right now that we will be stirred in our hearts to worship you with everything that we have. And not just now, but we will give you our very best and put into practice the example of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.